In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Exactly how does the Word of God work? Is it effective? Is it powerful? Is it like man's word, but perfect? How does the word of God work? This became a question during the Reformation and still has bearing on us today. As it has a bearing on how we worship and evangelize. John Calvin answered this way. Indeed, the word of God is like the sun shining upon all those to whom it is proclaimed, but with no effect among the blind. Now all of us are blind by nature in this respect. Accordingly, it cannot penetrate into our minds unless the Spirit, as the inner teacher, through his illumination, makes entry for it. Notice how Calvin divides the Word of God from the Holy Spirit. That the Word is not effective itself, but that the Holy Spirit is the teacher who takes the bare Word and makes it effective. Or to put it in another way, only the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Word is powerful because the Holy Spirit is making it work that way. Now Charles Finney became a theologian in the 1800s in America. And he followed in this vein of Calvinistic thought, although he departed in ways which I think it is fair to say John Calvin would have disagreed with him. Finney wrote, Grace has made the salvation of every human being secure, who can be persuaded by all the influences that God can wisely bring to bear upon him to accept the offers of salvation. Notice how God's grace secures salvation in people by persuasion. This persuasion moves people to accept God's salvation. Finney writes that God persuades them by his word and his spirit, and he explains further elsewhere. The power which God exerts in the conversion of the soul is moral power. And then in another place, he writes, it's that kind of power by which a statesman sways the mind of a senate, or by which an advocate moves and bows the heart of a jury. You can see that Finney equates persuasion and the power of the word. He continues the separation that Calvin explained, but he further diminishes the power of the word and the Holy Spirit to being persuasive. And therein lies the problem. Not only is, not, is this not how God speaks of his word, it changes the scope, the dynamic, and the place of God's word in worship and evangelism. Look at how the word works. Look in Isaiah. God says his word is like a rain shower, falling down, watering the earth, and bringing forth plants and produce. The rain and the snow showers accomplish their purposes. They cause the ground to bring forth its fruit. God's word always goes forth and accomplishes his 
purpose. And here, we must not think of God's word abstractly, as if the word is a concept, as if God's words are like our words, only better and more sophisticated. Rather, we need to remember who the word is, namely Jesus. For we learn that the word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. This is not a concept, but God coming among us. And once we realize this, we can begin to unpack truly Isaiah 55. For we see that God has been working throughout history toward this moment of coming in the flesh for us. God's word has been spoken and been acting to bring about our salvation and our deliverance. As Paul writes in Galatians 4, 4 to 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's word accomplished at the right time what God had been working throughout history. God's word came forth and came into the earth to bring life, new life out of the grave, out of the dirt and dustmen of this world. Not only that, he replaces the thorn and the briar. Think about that consequence and that has resulted because of sin, the curse that sin has brought. When Adam disobeyed God, the ground was cursed to bring forth thorns and thistles. But now God's word is pouring forth and bringing up tall and sturdy trees. Not only is man being saved, but the whole creation the creation that was subjected to bondage and decay. The creation that was waiting and waiting for the revealing the sons of God and the redemption of their bodies. God's word brought forth true reign and life to this world in Christ Jesus. The world and all peoples were thirsty for God's righteousness, thirsty for his deliverance, Thirsty for his word because life is found nowhere else. Who can give life except God? He's the only source of life. From the beginning of creation to today and into eternity, he's our source of life, our water of life. We thirst for life and righteousness because we do not have it. It's not in us. Sin separated us from the Lord, who is our stream and river of life and righteousness. And not only us, this world is thirsty. It's dry and parched, and sin continues to exacerbate the dryness. That's one reason things keep getting worse in the world. As the rain shower of God's word falls in less and less places... And as the areas around us get drier and drier, people get more desperate for life and righteousness. And they try to establish their own. They try to one-up others to obtain it for themselves. This is what a drought brings, fighting. 
Christ is the water that the world needed. He solved our drought and dryness by raining down his grace and mercy by fulfilling all the promises God made for us. He came in our flesh to give us life, to put the water of life back into our lives, to live a perfect life, flourishing in love, and to take our dryness and death for us. He poured out his life for our salvation, and he suffered and thirsted in our place. He bore the dryness of our sins on the dead wood of the cross. He thirsted, and he died. He died parched, but the eternal wellspring of life did not stay dead. He rose, and his life-giving waters flowed out to you and to me. And so today, his word of life still goes out. His word still gushes forth with life-giving power, for the word of God is not mere words. The words we hear and read from Scripture are not lifeless or disconnected words. This is not man's words. These words are not God's persuasion as if, as if such was on the level of man's persuasion. No. Paul clearly says in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says that the gospel, that is God's word of what Christ did for us on the cross and his resurrection is God's power, God's might. He doesn't parse it out to be only powerful because the Holy Spirit is present. Christ himself says that his words are spirit and life. In other words, he connects his words and the Holy Spirit. To separate them is to say something Scripture does not say. And this brings us back to the problem and what it means for us. If we try to divide the Holy Spirit from the Word, then we'll not know if the Word is God is always the Word for us. We'll, not, we'll have to wonder, well, is that really the word for me? Is that the word that's really working? Is it going to work? That's where Charles Finney went. He was trying to persuade people to believe. And he tried to use tactics like any business might to sell his product, to get people to choose God. He introduced things into the church service and into evangelism to get people to make this choice, to move them. Converting people for him became the work of man. And the church began to employ many different methods and ways to make people Christians. And over the years, this would develop into a myriad of church growth practices and tactics. And the biggest tactic was to harness people's emotions and to move them toward a decision, rather than trusting God's word to work. Now, this, this big tactic also elicited a, a big backlash in some corners, especially by those who felt manipulated, that we now had to avoid all emotions in the worship service and get them out of the worship service, and neither of which 
is a proper course. Instead of focusing on moving people or appealing to their needs, Christians should center their worship and their evangelism efforts on God's word. Simply trusting God's word to work. It will not return void. Sometimes God's word needs to work and till the soil a bit more before life will spring up. Some plants are slow to grow. Sometimes the ground is hard and resistant, but God's word is still working. Even when we do not see that God's word is working, we know he is working. Just as Adam and Eve did not see the working out of God's promise of a Savior, a promise that took at least 4,000 years for it to come to fruition. So today we do not always see how God's word is working. But we know his word works because the Lord who speaks the truth and does what he says promises you and me that his word does not return void. His word accomplishes his work to bring forth a new and righteous world, a bountiful world full of life and restoration. And we have seen this work in Christ Jesus, his resurrection. That bountiful world that he is bringing forth is given to you today in our Lord's promise, in his word, his saving word. Hear his life-giving and thirst-filling promise. You are mine. Your words of sin, where you have misspoken, are forgiven and covered. I know you still suffer and struggle in this world. I know the challenges of life weigh upon you and that much in this world leaves you parched and dry. But I have overcome the world. I have taken those struggles upon myself. Receive my water-filled promise. You are washed clean. Drink in my righteousness for you. I give it to you. And today, I pour my cup for you to drink. I give you my water of life in my blood poured out for you. Come to my table. Take and eat. Take and drink. Be refreshed and restored. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.